Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This podcast is brought to you by GrownBuy. Join farmers from across the U.S. who are selling direct on the first cooperatively owned sales app, GrownBuy. You can easily manage CSAs of any scale, organize your spring plant sales, move that freezer meat, or even sell wholesale on GrownBuy. Farm shops are free to build with lots of inventory options. You can accept credit cards and offline payments, and their pick lists and pack sheets do the job. Customers will get automated notifications on orders, refunds, and pickups. There is no startup fees, no monthly or yearly subscriptions, no additional charge for tech support. The only cost is a small co-op service charge for online processing. However, as a listener of the Thriving Farmer podcast, you get 50% off your first three months of co-op service charges on GrownBuy. Email their very friendly farmer support team at grow at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer. Check it out at grownby.com or download the app on the Google Play or Apple App Stores. GrownBuy, the farmer-owned marketplace. Steward is transforming agriculture by equipping regenerative farms and food systems with the capital they need to grow. As a mission-driven financial partner, Steward works closely with agriculture businesses to scale their operations, improve the health of their lands and waters, and boister farm-to-regional food systems. To date, Steward has provided over $15 million in business loans to fund 75 unique projects backed by more than 1,500 participating lenders. Steward is proud to be a certified B Corp. Seek financing or support a loan campaign at GoSteward.com. Hey, Thriving Farmers. In this podcast, we are airing one of our value-added summit talks from fall of 2022. The 37-plus speakers who joined us shared incredible expertise on how you can make more money while providing value to your family and community. We want to share a few of them with you here on the Thriving Farmer podcast. Want to gain access to all 37 presentations and trainings? Head to farmsummits.com to learn more. Hey, Thriving Farmers and Summit attendees. In this session of the Thriving Farmers Summit Value Added, we'll joined by Anna Marie Billella, also known online as the Forger Chick. Anna Marie is the farmer, the baker, the medicine maker at Bella Vista Farm in Georgia. She is skilled in herbal medicine, wild weeds, mushrooms, and products made from herbs and mushrooms. Anna Marie was self-taught in her herbal studies until 2014 when she completed a 10-month hands-on intensive herbal course at Botana Logos School of Herbal Studies. She is certified as a wild mushroom forager and seller as well as an instructor for the wild mushroom safety course with Mushroom Mountain. Currently, Anna Marie creates her own herbal products with her forager chick line and teaches homesteaders and preppers about herbal medicine, medicinal mushrooms, and wild plant identification. She's a homesteader, book author, writer for her own blog, and has written articles for other blogs. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you you get a lot going on. I do. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so you work with uh, Mushroom Mountain, our friend Trad over there. How's he doing yes. these days? He's doing good. I haven't seen him in a while. I, I see mostly Olga when I'm up there. She's uh, my boss really on that, on that end. Gotcha. All right. Well, talk to us. How, what was your journey into the, the, uh, herbal world? Well, um, 
I moved down here. It's kind of a funny story. I moved to Georgia about 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago with my husband. And all I cared about was horses. I wanted horses and I was really a girly girl, you know, didn't get out in the dirt, didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And then um, after a few years, when I finally had my son and he was at the babysitters a lot for his first year of life and he was eating McDonald's and drinking Diet Cokes and Krispy Kreme donuts. And I was like, oh, there's got to be another way. I need to figure yeah. this out. I need to get home and stay home with him so he could eat better. So that's when the, the food movement started to get to me. Like, where's my food coming from? I need to learn to grow my own food. Yeah. And um, a few years later, I met a good friend, Cindy, who um, owned a farm that was pretty close to me. And we used to exchange eggs and honey from her farm and I would teach her girls how to ride horses well all the kids were homeschooled they were beautiful and healthy and I thought man I want this for my family how do I do this mm -hmm. and so little by little I learned from her one day there was a um a class we were having and this lady came from one of the local herbal stores and she was talking to us about herbal remedies and chickweed especially chickweed. And she went out in the yard and she picked us some of this chickweed and told us to eat it. And we're all like, what? Eat the yeah. chickweed? Yeah. <laughs> so we ate the chickweed and then she was telling us all its medicinal benefits and how good it is for the skin. And I was like, oh my God, it's free. It's out there. God put it out there and yeah. it's for all of us to use. And yeah. I was hooked. I was hooked from that moment. I was in search of chickweed. And that started my journey all the way pretty much to today. And I haven't stopped. <laughs> yeah. In our yard, we've got obviously plantain. We've got dandelion. We've got chickweed. The summer, we'll have a little bit of purslane. Um, what other things commonly grown in the yard? Oh, you have wood sorrel, which is nice oh, and yes. lemony. A plantain, which is great medicinally. Or you could eat it. A lot of people don't think about eating it. We yeah. have... Um, yellow dop, dandelion, all the flowers. Gosh, there's so many edible flowers, especially in the springtime. You have uh, spiderwort and um, clover, roses and stuff. So there's food all around us all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how you got started. Now, you said you were doing that till 2014. Then you went to this big herbal course. Talk a little bit about that experience. Sure, sure. Um, I had been dabbling, like I said, you know, just self-taught dabbling with some of the books. Rosemary Gladstar is definitely one of the, you know, that she's the mother of herbalism. So I read everything she had. And I met the woman that owns Botanologos, Patricia Howell, who wrote um, Medicinal Herbs of the Southern Appalachians. I've met her previous to this course. And one day she said to me, she goes, when are you going to take my course? And I was like, well, heck, it's going to take a miracle or me winning the lottery. Yeah, she goes, well, yeah. I kind of need an assistant. You want to be my assistant? I was like, well, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. So once I took this course, it was just like it put all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, while I dabbled somewhat with the medical herbalism and I saw a few clients and I did make products, that's my main thing. I really was drawn towards the foraging and um, getting my hands in the dirt and not just ordering herbs online. So I really love to get out there and forage with other people and every day. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you've got some pictures here. Should we go ahead and share those and kind of sure. start just talking through those? Because I think obviously showing and telling is always something that's super important. So I see right in there in the middle, that is um, that is uh, stinging nettle, right? Correct. Correct. All right. Yes. Clover. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Is this elderberry? Mm-hmm. Let's see, I'm batting three for three. Now these flowers are starting to get me a little, is this a frilly stuff? Is that yarrow? That is. Okay, uh, garlic scapes? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've given up on this one. Is that delphinium? Can't be. No, you have some roses in there and ah. some spider wart. <laughs> okay, the spider wart's this right here. The per the spider wart is the purple the purple flowers ah the purple yes. flowers right there and then and then there should be some rose petals right above that yep. yeah yep and then what's this right here that's a little bit of like almost a shoot those are briar shoots they kind of taste like asparagus they're delicious so when you say briar are you saying like blackberries no sorry uh kind of like saw briar cat briar okay. they're in this they're in the sarsaparilla family okay so all those Big, huge briars that want to rip your legs off when you're walking through the woods. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Um, yeah. And again, tell us a little bit why you put this picture in. Well, I this is how this is how I roll pretty much every day. I don't always have a plan. I'm going out through my gardens and into the woods, and it usually winds up through the fields in the woods. And I just kind of have a mission every day. Hey, what can I eat today? And so I went out there and got all these different things. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to make a beautiful salad, first of all, and decorate with all these flowers. And even with the yarrow, the yarrow leaves have a little bit of a peppery taste. So and then the nettles, I probably put them in eggs or I dried them and put them in um, one of my spice blends. And then the top picture is most likely, I mean, the top in the basket and I made that basket. That was one of my first baskets I made. <laughs> Very cool. And, and that basket is that made out of um, willows? No, um, it's grapevine and then just some of that flat cane that we colored. And I believe there's lemon balm in there. So most likely I was making lemon balm cupcakes. And the clovers down below, I usually put those in biscuits. And you could sell those like you, you could you could make biscuits with all these different wildflowers and sell them at the farmer's market just as an added product. All right. So this picture, I'm seeing a sumac and um, shiitakes and I'm also seeing some goldenrod. Mm -hmm. and, then um, the and then the barium. Sorry. Yes, I'm not not quite familiar with that. It's actually. Actually, it's hawthorn berry, and these are the biggest hawthorn berries I have ever seen. So I was like, I'm harvesting those. I found them on yeah. one of the hikes we were at. Yeah. So what's the use of goldenrod? Well, goldenrod, um, the flowers in particular, are good for in salves to infuse in oil. They're great for muscle relaxation and helping to, you know, just massage all those aches and pains out of the way. The leaves and the flowers together can be tinctured into a um, allergy tincture. You could also add them into tea. And not only that, it's edible. And when you're really lucky and you find the good goldenrod, the one that has a little bit of an anise, licorice-y fennel taste, that's the best <laughs> for sure. 
So talk to us about that because obviously you're out foraging. This stuff's free. You can just find it for free. And That's then right. you can make a salve with it. What kind of oils do you recommend if someone wants to like infuse the goldenrod? Most of the time I will use olive oil, but okay. there are sometimes I'll mix coconut oil. And those are pretty much the two oils that I use for any of my salves just yeah. because they can pull all those medicinal properties out and they don't go rancid easy. And what I do is I infuse them in the oil and then I strain it out. Most of the time I do it by heat because I'm making large batches. So I'll use my crock pot on really, really low. Okay. And once I strain it, then I just add the beeswax and the essential oils and pour them into my little tins and they're ready oh, to go. go. Okay. So then um, now with the goldenrod, do you make a goldenrod salve or is it like a mix of different things? It's a mixture. It's my sore muscle salve and I do comfrey in there and the goldenrod, arnica and St. John's wort. Okay. Now is arnica something that grows wild or is that typically cultivated? Um, it grows wild, not by me, unfortunately. It's one of those out West kind of plants. So that is one that I do have to purchase. Gotcha. Is it something that you can grow in the East or is it only West? There, I don't know for sure if it could grow here. There is a similar plant that's not quite in the same family that has some of the same properties and it has a small little yellow flower like Monica. I have heard that it can be used in exchange. If that's the case, I'm going to investigate that next time I see it. And because yeah. Arnica is quite expensive and I rather find what I could use first. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at pictures of it and it looks like it's a pretty you know, small plant. It's not like, not like a, uh, echinacea or comfrey, which can get massive. Um, right. yeah. So it looks to me that you probably could grow it, but we don't know until we try. So we're going to try that. Next time. All right. So then let's talk a little bit about that process. We're kind of diving into a little bit of these different things you can do. What is like the potential then for folks to like go out and harvest some of this stuff? I mean, what's the cost compared to, let's say, what the what the end product? Oh, well, goodness, it's just your time, really. And if you love to do it and all of this is around, none of our land has been sprayed in for as long as I've been there in 30 years. So we let our weeds, I cultivate the weeds. Okay, <laughs> and yes. So long as you have the time to go out and you have somebody to teach you that's knowledgeable, you can harvest everything that grows out there. There's a plethora and people that are already farmers, it's no harm to just put on your borders and grow some goldenrod and let the bees have it because it's a wonderful bee food too. So you can, you know, the only thing you really need then is your oil and your beeswax. Yeah. And so if you start with this free product and the end product, which is like, I know I have one here somewhere, like this size, like a little tin. Yeah. Um, yeah. This happens to be chickweed sap. We sell these from 10 to $12. Wow. So when you're thinking about it, I'm using like a little piece of that flower and yes. we usually make, you know, several dozen at a time just yes. to have them. Yeah. All right. So I got to tell you a little story. When we okay. farmed in upstate New York, we would mow goldenrod by the acre. It grew wild there. It was, and again, we were like, yeah, we have six foot bush hog. We'd plow it. It grew in the heavier soils down the bottom land. Um, we just tried to get rid of it. Last summit, we did it on the flower summit. And if folks want to go back and check that out, they can absolutely go check the, the flower summit out. We had over 30 speakers there. Um, and they were telling me they use it in arrangement. So I thought that was hilarious. But now I'm learning that it's actually medicinal too. 
So it's a wonder plant that we were just, we had no idea. I mean, we were organic farmers, but we didn't, we didn't know the whole natural side of things. <laughs> and it's edible too. So you can use it, you know, in baked goods and we make a oh, uh, wow. goldenrod cornbread and there's no, no corn in there. It's just almond flour and goldenrod. It's delicious. Very cool. Okay. Hawthorn berries. What are you doing with those? I am going to make something really cool with those and I'm going to make a hawthorn berry ketchup. Hmm. So we're going to try this out. It's a uh, type of ketchup that's going to be a little bit more clovey and cinnamony than regular traditional ketchup. But okay. if it's a go, you know, I'll bottle it and sell it. Very cool. All right. The sumac. Mm -hmm. The sumac is um, this time I didn't have as much as I normally have. So you can take the sumac berries. They call them berries. Um but the flavor is all on the outside of each of those berries. And it's very tart and lemony. And I'm going to grind these and make a seasoning for meats and fish and stuff like that. But a lot of times, if I have quite a few of those, I yeah. will make a lemonade with it. And it's delicious. Yes. Now, there is poison sumac and regular sumac. So folks just need to be aware of the difference. Isn't poison sumac typically a white berry? Yes. Okay. Yes. And usually right. it grows like near like swampy areas. Whereas regular sumac is pretty more upland typically. Yeah. Yes. Back in New York, that was everywhere. I mean, it was very, very invasive. Here it's around, but just not, not as, as prevalent. Right. Hey, Thriving Farmers listeners. Did you know that customers buy nearly 30% more when shopping on an app? I mean, it makes sense. An app keeps your products top of mind and easy for your customers to order again and again. That's why my farm and hundreds of farmers across the country are selling on GrownBuy, the farmer-owned marketplace. I'm Lindsay Leshashute, co-founder and farmer. With GrownBuy, your CSA or market customers are always connected to your farm because your store is on the app. They can favorite your farm, leave you a review, and get order notifications. It's basically a farmer's market in their pocket. This year, we use Grown Buy on my farm to sell hundreds of CSA shares, seasonal pies, whole lambs, quarter pigs, and Thanksgiving turkeys. Our customers love it because it is just easy. They don't have to remember our website or anything like that. We're just there on their phones, on the app. Grown Buy is the only farmer-owned sales platform, and we'd love to help you sell more next season. Setting up shop takes less than an hour. We charge a 2% co-op fee per transaction, but customers can cover it for you. So the cost turns out to be pretty minimal and well worth the investment because you have saved time and sold more. Listeners to the Thriving Farmers podcast get 50% off their first three months on GrownBuy. Just email us at grow, G-R-O-W, at farmgenerations.coop to get this offer. And Michael will link to us in today's show notes. You can find GrownBuy at grownby.com. G-R-O-W-N-B-Y.com or on the Google Play or Apple App Stores under GrownBuy. I look forward to seeing your farm on GrownBuy this season. All right. Now, mushrooms, that's something that you're into as well. Tell us, talk us through a little bit. These are chicken of the woods, right? Nope. Oh, chanterelles. Yes, you got okay. it. Chanterelles, yes. Chanterelles. And uh, chanterelles are just abundant when they're out. And yeah, I love mushrooms. Um, anything about mushrooms, which is funny because I didn't used to like mushrooms. I hated mushrooms because all I ever tried was button mushrooms. Yeah. And then when my my mind was and my my palate was open to all the wild mushrooms, I was like, yeah. 
mind blown. So chanterelles can be so abundant. And usually I sell them to restaurants or at the farmer's market. But when I had a plethora of it and I couldn't get them all sold, I decided to try this jam. I saw a recipe for apricot chanterelle jam and I don't have apricots. So I had peaches. We're in Georgia. We have peaches. So yep, I made you sure do. chanterelle jam and it's so delicious. And you wouldn't think to put chanterelle yeah. mushrooms in your jam, but um, I, I keep most of them. I've given some to family and I sell some to an online platform uh, that's a foraging platform that I belong to. Very cool. Very mm -hmm. cool. So this is something, again, just find, and I remember I was down in uh, Carolinas uh, last year, the year before, and we were walking through the woods and there was so many chanterelles just all over the place. And the people I was with was like, what is this? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that this is a chanterelle. And, um, but yeah, there was, gosh, we could have filled five gallon buckets with them. That's great. <laughs> it's crazy. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is, goes back to that salve you were talking about, um, chickweed? Yes, yes. And actually in the salve, I do add plantain, as you can see in that picture. It's yep. usually two, two parts chickweed to one part plantain. This was my very, very first salve that I made back in, it was probably 2013, 2012, yep. something like that. And so ever since then, I've just been selling and it's funny it has my old label on there too I just realized that but um I also sell to one of the local stores right in my hometown and she buys them wholesale all of them and sells yep. them in the store but it's such a wonderful salve for your skin it helps with eczema and any kind of dry skin and yeah. um, all kinds of rashes very cool um, plus it's now, good to eat <laughs> yes now do you take the herbs and do you infuse them wet or do you dry them first I dry wilt them. So I just let them sit overnight and then I go ahead and I put them in the oil. And what I do is after say two to three hours, when I do strain it out, I don't usually make my salve just yet, especially with the fresh herbs, because there's still just a little bit of water in there. So I, I pour it out into a jar and then I let that sit out overnight. The next day I decant it off and all the water stays at the bottom. Ah, interesting. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you dry wilt first. All right. I can yeah. do that. Lay them, lay them out. Let them dry wilt. Put them in a jar and with like the olive oil. And then mm -hmm. how long do you leave it the olive in the olive oil? I put it in a crock pot. And so it depends on how, how you're doing it. If you're just doing like a jar full, you can put the jar in set inside a couple inches of water in your crock pot, turn it on low, you know, get it up to, to be nice and warm and then turn it down for a few hours. I just put it directly in the crock pot because I'm usually doing about a half a gallon of oil at a time. Yeah. And yeah. then I check it, I keep it on low and I keep my temperature below 140 and I yeah. check it periodically. I don't cover it because you don't want any moisture in there. Yeah. And it's kind of like you can smell it. Like when you're cooking, you know, you know yes. when it's done. And usually yeah. all the light has left the oil and it's, you know, it left the plant. It's now in the oil. Gotcha. All right. Then you kind of take the herbs out. You you squish all the, as much oil out as you can get. Yes. Um, and then you said you decant it, let it sit for another 24 hours let that water settle to the bottom. Correct. Very cool. Very <laughs> cool. All right. So this is more mushrooms. Of course. <laughs> 
we got to do something with all these extra mushrooms. So there's two kinds here. Um, the bottom picture is a hen of the woods. Mm. And the ones on the dehydrator is chanterelles. And I make mushroom jerky with it. Uh-huh. So just another product, you know, you, you, you marinate your mushrooms in like a teriyaki or something. And then you slow cook them. And then you put them in a dehydrator for about anywhere from four to six hours. Yeah. And then I put like sesame seeds and um, some shredded fresh turmeric and ginger. And then I package it up and people can have chanterelles in the middle of the winter. Very cool. And again, if you're out foraging, chanterelles are just free. So why wouldn't you do this? Exactly. Exactly. It is time consuming like anything else, but you know, when it's your job, I'd rather do this than go work for somebody else. I don't care. I'll sit with these mushrooms and uh, be in the woods all day long just to make yes. things jerky. Well, you I mean, you think about a, a family that might have like a couple kids, you know, they get to eight, nine, 10. This is a perfect opportunity for them to earn some side money or them just to help the family. So exactly. Fabulous. It's delicious. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So I'm seeing some ramps here. I'm seeing a couple different, some figs. Um, is this a little bit of your dried uh, products? Yes. Those are my seasonings. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So and- let's talk about that seasoning. That's a whole nother line we haven't discussed yet. <laughs> well, most of those seasonings there have mushrooms in it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also kind of a sneaky chef. I always have right. been, you know, with my child when he was younger, try to sneak those greens in any which way you can. Well, you know, anybody can make ranch dressing, but if you put mushrooms in ranch dressing, nobody knows what the benefits are in there. And plus yeah. I get get to have my mushrooms, my extra excess of mushroom that I dehydrate and put it in there. So all of those spices are made with mushrooms that I have dehydrated. Some of the herbs are not what I have dehydrated because I don't know if you have dried, mush- dried um, herbs before. It takes a lot. And I now sell a lot. So I can't grow enough parsley or stinging nettle to mix in. So, but I make like cream of mushroom soup and uh, ranch. I have a stock powder. So for people that don't want to make their own bone broth, they can put the stock powder in there and get all the herbs and mushrooms. And yeah, I just love doing it. It's great. And again, that's another value added product for people. You just make like a whole batch of them. And then you have all these little packets to sell. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you something real quick. This is celery powder. I mean, with the bag completely sealed, that is, I can smell it across the office. (laughs) Guess how much celery took to make this amount of celery powder? Uh, uh, 10 pounds. Two bushels. Yes. Tremendous amount. Tremendous amount. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it yet. We probably will make like a celery salt and then it'll like expand dramatically. It blew my mind when I finally like, I I put it through the Vitamix and I was like, oh my gosh, look what we, you know, we ended up with here. Yeah. Yeah. We have dried mint, dried hibiscus, dried parsley, dried, um, we do dry mushrooms. We dry... Um, what other herbs? Sage, we dried comfrey, we dried, we're drying ginger leaf and turmeric leaf. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. Well, especially the turmeric leaf. I'm not sure if there's anything I can do with turmeric leaf. I'm not sure. 
Hmm. Yeah, but ginger leaf, supposedly you can make a, a syrup with it. And then also we can ferment it supposedly and make a tea with it. That's great. Yeah. That's um, we've got a lot this year. So we'll be, we'll be messing around with that. So the ramps in there, we don't have ramps here in Georgia, but a friend of mine went to West Virginia and she said, Hey, would you get me some morels? I'll get you ramps. I was like, heck yeah, of course. Yeah. He comes back and I had like a trash bag full of ramps. So I felt like Forrest Gump. I was making ramp salt, salted ramps, ramp yeah. butter, ramp bread, you name it. So ramps went in all my my uh, wild seasonings too. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then what is this over here? This looks like a flower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a mimosa flower. Oh, yes. Yeah, we have a, a that grows around here. I've seen those. Yes. Yeah. And I make like a syrup with that. I make lots of syrups and vinegars. So it's, and then if you see at the very bottom of that picture, the purple flowers, that's kudzu blossoms. And I know there's not too much kudzu around the world, except down here. And yeah. I, I have a chef that purchases the kudzu blossoms and she makes a lemonade. So it's cool. All right. So these look like cherries. Yes. They're wild cherries. And I love wild cherry season. <laughs> now, aren't wild cherries like super tiny? Yes. Yes. And I know that's a blown up picture there. It takes a lot to get these cherries off the tree. Okay. They're, they're like the size of peas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. And then what do you do with them? So I make my favorite thing to make with it is a cherry shrub. Mm. And what that is, is equal parts of white wine vinegar, cherries, and sugar. And you cook it together and then you strain it and bottle it. And you can use it as an addition to a salad dressing, like mix a salad dressing with it, or you can pour it in cocktails or just make a mocktail with uh, sparkling water. It's so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very cool. And what's the season for this? Is this like June or July? Yes. Yes. So we try to bottle enough. You never know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, is this up here, the purple flower, is that locust flowers? No, it's actually red buds. Red bud. Okay. Yeah. Do you have is red bud trees where you are? We do. Yeah. Can you do anything with locust flowers? Yes. It, um, let me get this right. I believe it's the black locust. Okay. Uh, those are the edible ones. So I mean, don't, don't like, I don't want to swear by that. There's yeah, two locust yeah. trees. One of them is edible. One is not. And I want to say it's the black locust. Um, we can, might have to look that up. <laughs> yeah. We've got a really showy locust that we bought and that's like a pink purple. Um, this is what they look like. So the tree is absolutely oh, stunning in the spring. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, locust. Covered with this. Well, so maybe it's more like this one right here. Yes, maybe it's more like this one. Purple robe gotcha. locust tree. Gotcha. Oh, here it is. Yes. So that resemble wisteria. Yes. Great shade tree called a native black. It is the black locust. Okay. Oh. So, so it might it might be. I would definitely look into that for sure, just to make yeah. sure, you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, obviously, I don't want to pick all the blossoms off because they're so pretty, but it right. would be cool. You know, one of the things we did when we um, started building this farm is we wanted everything on the property to be edible or saleable. Yes. So elderberries, obviously we eat the elderberries. We can use the leaves. You can use the flowers. You can sell the, the wood for people that want to grow their own. Um, 
you know, uh, even like the hostas. We do have some hostas. You can actually eat the hostas if you want. Um, mm-hmm. The um, hydrangeas, obviously a great cut flower. So, you know, all those things, everything we plant, we try to make it like that. Um, we grow um, canna, uh, canna lilies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're those big six or eight feet tall and yep. sell the roots in, in the spring. So, you know, that's kind of what we're, we're working on is to, you know, build out everything on the farm to be saleable. So I have like Excellent. pretty much 30 different income streams. That's awesome. Have you, do you grow um, begonias too? Because those are edible. We don't. I did not know that. Um, we do for edible flowers. We typically do um, marigold, uh, nasturtiums, cosmos, um, violets in the mm-hmm. spring are crazy for us. Um, but begonias would be a good one. And then I'm sure there's others that we just haven't tried yet. Delicious. <laughs> All right. Back to the picture. These are um, morels. They are. And then is this um, forsythia? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So we make like a syrup with that too. And syrups are just a good way to preserve any flower, especially if you can it. If you don't, it will keep in the refrigerator for about a month or so. But it's, it's yeah. just kind of nice when we do dinners or, you know, when I'm teaching classes, I like to offer snacks related yeah. to forage. So it's nice to have these different things. For sure. And the red buds are good. They're just good and crunchy on salad and they're yep. sweet. Nice. Very cool. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So tell us a little bit about your books. You got two books out. Um, Yeah. What, what caused you to write them? Okay. Well, a funny story about the, um, the wild eating with the forager chicks. My friend, um, Denise, who is usually my co-conspirator in foraging, she just works too much now and I haven't been able to forage with her. Well, a couple of years back, maybe about three years back, we're in the woods and we're just like giddy and we laying on the ground taking pictures of mushrooms because we're totally geeking out. We're fungus freaks, totally geeking out. And we've just harvested like, I don't know, eight or 10 pounds of chanterelles. So we're excited. We're thinking about all the different things we're going to cook. And so she gets in her car. I get in my car and I'm driving home and her and I never talk on the phone. We'd always text all the time. So I call her as I'm driving. I know I shouldn't do that. And I'm like, Denise, guess what? we're the forager chicks now and we're writing a cookbook. And she's like, okay. (laughs) It was great. It took two years to write, but we got it done in 2020. Very cool. All right. So Mm -hmm. what kind of recipes, um, obviously it's foraged recipes, but like talk to us a little bit about kind of what's in there. Sure. So um, most of them are foraged. We do have a couple of family favorites in there. It's probably 90% vegetarian. Um, we have appetizers and everything in there is easy to cook. Like we lay it out. There's a photo for every single recipe. There's, um, breakfast things. There's how to, you know, bake some breads and adding your wild ingredients into breads. And then we have our main dishes. There's chickweed pesto and perilla pesto. We made chicken of the woods Parmesan that's in there, different soups and pickled products and how to preserve some jams and jellies. And um, I even have some of the spices that we showed on one of those previous slides. The recipes are in there. So it's kind of nice, you know, for somebody who just wants to get started. But we wanted to create something that was easy for people to do and to use what they can find. And we tried to put the most common 
um, forageable ingredients in the book. And in the very back of the book, it does have like a chart with pictures of the different plants and mushrooms and what they look like. And in a couple of stories before that, you know, how to forage and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. so. And then you've got the, um, the journal and logbook. Mm -hmm. So that one we create, I created that one about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And you could write things in, in a notebook, of course, you know, but it's kind of nice having something where you can document your finds, what they are. And even if you don't know what it is, one of the very first pages in there, it has um, like identification pages. So you can write down the different attributes for that mushroom. And then once you know exactly what it is, you can write that in there. You could also do a spore print. It shows how to do a spore print. And in the back, it's a logbook for recording um, all of your finds and what you did with it. If you sold it, if you preserved it, or gave it away, ate it, whatever, and in a little area for recipes. So that is actually now part of Mushroom Mountain's um, Wild Mushroom Safety Course, the book. Awesome. That is so yeah. cool. Um, let's a, a few final questions here before we sure. go. Actually, I got more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, when you have an abundance of one thing, what's your go-to typically for trying to preserve it? Drying it right away. Um, yeah. Definitely. I dehydrate mushrooms and then I air dry most of my greens. So I try to get it taken care of right away, whatever it has to be done, whether it be dried or if it has to be cooked and, and then put in the freezer for later. Gotcha. Okay. Do you have a favorite value added product that you've created? That's hard. I was trying to think about um, some of my favorites. And I think, honestly, I would probably say that little chickweed sap, just okay. because it's so near and dear to me to know that this wild plant, the first plant that I learned about, became like one of the most popular products. That and maybe uh, I do an itch relief stick which is kind of really cool. And that has plantain in it too, plus a couple of other plants. Um, so yeah, I would probably say that chickweed sap is my favorite. <laughs> Very cool. Um, for someone who's getting started as foraging, what would you say they need to learn first? I think the first thing they need to know how to identify plants. Mm. You know, you could be a farmer and know what you grow based on your seeds, but to identify plants, the first thing that I would recommend is um, this book. This is a really old one. They have a new version. It's called Newcomb's Wildflower Guide. And it doesn't have colored pictures, you know, and I mean a couple of colored ones, but it's basically a key to key out different plants and identify them that way. Uh, also for mushrooms, get a book that is specific to your area for sure. Yeah. And not one of those big Autobahn books. It's impossible to read through those. Nobody yeah. can learn from one of those. Um, then, of course, find a person. Find find a forager in your That's area yeah. that could you could either tag along with or go to one of their classes and learn. And, and basically learn by getting plants and getting mushrooms and studying them. You don't necessarily have to go right out and pick them to eat them because you don't, you shouldn't, unless you're 100% sure of the ID. So study them and study the different areas that you might have that have weeds and mushrooms and, um, but definitely find a person. And I also offer an online school in addition to an in-person school. So people can find me, you know, at foragerchick.com and come to one of my in-person classes or 
I have an online school on Teachable, which I love because now I can share my knowledge more further out there. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. A couple final things here. Um, what would you say the biggest surprise has been in your journey? The biggest surprise probably would be knowing now how much food is really out there and how we do not have to rely on the grocery stores. We can survive, you know, by growing or finding what's out there. And it, it's amazing to know how much food is out there, just even in the city. When you're, when I go through some parts of my town and I see, you know, it's unfortunately one of the poorest neighborhoods in one area, but there's kudzu growing and dandelion and chickweed. And you're like, wow, people can eat this. It's just the fact that there is food out there that we can eat. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably my biggest surprise. <laughs> and dandelion is such one of those um, tonics for you in the spring, especially to help get a lot of those heavy metals and nasties out, yes. which are really prevalent in cities. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Anna Marie. This has been fabulous. I've enjoyed it greatly. I've learned oh, some things. Um, and uh, it really fires me up that people like you are out there teaching people on how to go harvest nature for free and, uh, you know, make a living for it from it. So thanks for coming. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Joining me is Dan from Steward, a mission-driven financial partner for farms across the U.S. Dan, let's talk direct to consumer. You know, what would make a farm want to, maybe they're just growing grain or uh, maybe hemp, decide to go direct to consumer approach? Everybody wants to go direct to consumer because it is higher margin sales and there's a great opportunity there. But the reality is direct to consumer requires a lot of resources and a lot of investment in technology and marketing and brand. And so I, I often see farms that want to do direct consumer but there's a lot of planning that's required to do it well. And, and it's, it's a real challenge to integrate it. But obviously, if you can build a direct-to-consumer sales outlet, that's diversified high-margin income. And that's really where you want to be over time. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, let's say, going back to the hemp example, you can grow it, but processing it, putting it, distilling it, putting it in a bottle, getting a label, all that thing is way more expensive than just growing a few hemp plants in the field. What are some of those challenges that people run into when they decide to think about the direct consumer approach? The, the few biggest challenges that I see is technology, setting up the actual e-commerce sales system. Okay. I think to do direct to consumer well, you need a system to manage it, manual ordering, what you make up in margin, you lose in labor and, and efficiency. So setting up a consumer system that people can order on fairly easily takes a, you know, a little bit of e-commerce expertise. And I find often that isn't set up perfectly. And then the second piece I often see is around marketing. Obviously you have maybe a farmer's market, you have customers, but doing, let's say, geo-targeted marketing of the product you know, within a hundred miles, it, that requires some uh, expertise that most producers don't have. So once you're doing direct consumer, you're very much in the CPG type business, you're competing with other companies that have really strong CPG products. And so you need to be ready to go fully, you know, down the chain, full control of the product, really focus on branding, marketing, sales, and technology, or at least find somebody who can assist you in putting those pieces together. Mm -hmm. Because folks want to know who their farmer is, but so many times it's very hard to figure that out. Talk about the, uh, uh, this hemp farm that you've worked with. 
So East Fork cultivars, they were one of the first farms that we funded at Stewart in, in 2018 in the summer. They had a license to grow cannabis recreationally in Oregon. At Stewart, we then funded their growth into hemp. So they bought adjacent piece of land that was raw land. They started growing hemp on it. We built out the processing infrastructure for curing and drying. And they press their hemp into oil that they produce and sell and package, you know, direct sales through wholesalers and then direct to consumer online. And so what I what I found with East Fork is they just have such a great story and such great branding and such great sense of consumer product and design. And so when you see that not only do they grow this product regeneratively, but they process it themselves and then they create the final product and they sell. Just amazing to see all of those pieces come together. And you start with what is a fairly low cost, you know, commodity product if sold wholesale. Mm -hmm. And by the end, you have something where you've built a direct relationship with a consumer who has a final product. And now there's somebody who's going to be buying for the future. So when it can be done well, it's really amazing to see it come together. But the expertise needed on the team to execute the branding, marketing, sales technology that's needed to build that audience, that's often where I see the gap. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you are looking for a non-traditional mission-driven financial partner who understands the business of regenerative agriculture, reach out to gosteward.com today. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.